Alrighty, we're back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf Radio. I'm the host of the most, the king of the quarantine, Jimmy Falcon, and we're joined today, very excited actually, to be talking with Roy Villarreal, who recently retired as the chief of the Arizona Border Patrol. How's it going, Roy? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it is an absolute pleasure. How's everything been for you lately? How'd you get through COVID? That's kind of how I've been starting with everybody. <laughs> you know, like like most folk, folks, just hunkering down and, and doing the best I can to stay safe, to keep my family safe. But uh, thus far, COVID has has not impacted me, so uh, I'm thankful for that. That is wonderful. And uh, how are you enjoying retirement? You know, it's uh, it's pretty doggone good. It's it's a little bit difficult to get uh, adjusted to after spending uh, 32 years working for the the Border Patrol. Uh, so there, there's a little bit of a, a decompression that takes place afterwards, but I'm adjusting well. That's awesome. Now, did you start uh, your law enforcement career, so to say, with Border Patrol? Did you have anything before that? How did you kind of get into this line of work? I was, I was very fortunate. Um, I was hired by the Border Patrol at the age of 18. Wow. I was uh, preparing to go to college, and my aunt happened to work as a secretary for the Border Patrol, and she thought it would, it would be a wonderful opportunity, and so she encouraged me to apply and, and take the test, and I did so with the understanding that at the time, the normal hiring process for the Border Patrol was uh, two to four years, so I figured I would go off to college. If college wasn't the thing for me, and the Border Patrol called, I would take advantage of it. A little did I know that, that uh, they had a huge hiring surge at that time, and I was offered a job within... I think two months of taking and passing the task in the interview. And so uh, at the age of 18, I went off to the Border Patrol Academy and <clears throat> spent the, the better part of my adult life uh, serving in the U.S. Border Patrol. That is amazing. And you've had to have seen some really interesting things. And uh, I was curious what the best thing, so to say, you saw and the worst thing was. I'm sure that uh, meeting Vice President Mike Pence was probably up there. It was. Uh, I've got to tell you, uh, Vice President Pence was. Uh, he is a wonderful man. Um, you know, when you meet someone of that stature, you, you, it's, you're sort of awestruck, and he certainly made made me feel at ease. And uh, we had just a, a everyday conversations uh, to the point that we were discussing our kids and, and their futures and aspirations. Wonderful man. He, he left a, a tremendous impression on me. Uh, but in the, in the span of 32 years, there are there are a number of. Uh, experiences that I endured that were, were fairly phenomenal on, on a personal front. Um, I happened to be in, in Washington, D.C. prior to 9-11, and uh, I had the benefit of visiting the White House, uh, meeting the U.S. Attorney, and then being there uh, on in Ground Zero when, when 9-11 hit and seeing the aftermath. So just experiences like that. Um, sometimes I've, I, when I talk to people, I've described my career sort of sort of a, a Forrest Gump career in that I happened to be in a lot of different places that were highly impactful or historical for the Border Patrol. Uh, you know, for example, during the, uh, the L.A. riots in the early 90s, I happened to be called up and sent to L.A. to, to help uh, to bring that under control. Uh, I was in D.C., as I mentioned, during 9-11. I was also in, in D.C. during the transition to DHS. And so I, I've kind of been one of those guys that one way or another has always been in the room or in the background when some of these monumental changes have happened for the Border Patrol. So you actually visited Ground Zero after 9-11. That had to be uh, heart-wrenching and just some, uh, something else. It, it was. Um, you know, for, for just having uh, 
acknowledge the, the 20th anniversary, I happened to be working in D.C. at the time, and uh, it was certainly surreal to witness the, uh, the, the plane strike, the, the towers, and then um, where I worked was less than, gosh, I think it was two miles away from the Pentagon, so I go by the oh, Pentagon wow. every morning, and uh, to witness that firsthand uh, was just... It left a lasting impression on me, and then thereafter, just like the rest of, it, of, of uh, the federal government and our military, we did our part with uh, 9/11 and our adjustment. And so there was a lot of movement and uh, efforts to to ensure that we were providing safety for the country. Yeah, I remember being in middle school when it happened, and I I think it, I remembering it. I thought it was the end of the world because I'd never seen anything in real life that had that big of an impact and just plane after plane after plane and so many lives lost. Yeah, it was certainly horrific and it certainly changed the, the American lifestyle. Uh, as you mentioned, plane after plane, I think what was, aside from COVID, that's the only time in my life where I witnessed the, the world virtually come to a stop. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no movement, no one was on the freeways, there were no planes flying. And uh, very similar to what happened with COVID, we just we sort of lurched to a very quick stop and adjusted to the, the situation at hand. The only bad thing with COVID, we couldn't end up pinpointing who did it and finding one person and getting rid of them easily. Then, true. Um, yeah, I'm glad that things are you know now we got vaccines and uh, people are starting to finally be able to kind of live life uh, at a normalcy again. It's very encouraging, and, and depending upon what part of the country, and I've noticed that um, some areas have, have been almost in a, a state of normalcy, or at least have, I think, reached that state of normalcy earlier than other locations. Um, throughout COVID, I'm still working when it first started, so I, um, I did some, tra I traveled in, in the country, and I noticed there were certain places that certainly felt like we were completely shut down, and then there are other places in the country where it almost felt normal. Yeah, I've, I'm in such a small town that I didn't feel like I saw a huge uh, absence of things. Of course, with the schools closing and we had that quarantine uh, period for a while, things got kind of weird and just eerily quiet. They did, they did. But, you know, the, the one thing with COVID is it there was a temporary impact at the border um, in, in regards to the migratory flow. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I should say the flow across the border, both for, for um, legal migrants and for other illicit activities, principally narcotics. Initially, there was a, a slowdown at the border, and, and uh, we weren't seeing the same volume of activity. And then it began to pick up again. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I would say six to seven months into COVID, the, the flow just turned uh, right back on and has increased ever since. So COVID has not been a deterrent for would-be um, migrants and or the, the transnational criminal organizations that are smuggling drugs across our border. Kind of interesting you brought that part up because I was kind of leaning into the border situation and how it's been recently, and I kind of wanted to get your opinions on that, being that you were there uh, for so long. You know, unfortunately, and uh, having worked, again, for 32 years, so that means multiple administrations, and uh, the border patrol is apolitical. They're, they're not a, they're not tied to a Republican or, or a Democrat. Uh, they are tied to one simple uh, factor, which is securing and protecting the border. Um, but the the current situation has unfortunately certain, certainly 
unraveled border security. Um, and it just continues to, everything that was put into place over the last four years, um, or maybe, maybe a little bit longer, six years at the most, has simply fallen to the wayside. And uh, the situation at the border as it exists right now is one that I hadn't witnessed since I started with the Border Patrol in the late uh, 80s. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, we were uh, encountering and arresting anywhere from a million to a million and a half people a year. Wow. And then those numbers dramatically decreased as the Border Patrol changes its focus from one of being reactive to proactive and we changed our enforcement stance. And, and for the first time in, I think, in the Border Patrol's history, there was a focus on border security. Um, it, it was principally focused at narcotic trafficking and then it was criminal aliens and then 9-11 occurred and we became sort of a, um, uh, an all-mission um, effort in that we recognize that uh, there were bad people that were utilizing the, the forest border to come across. Uh, and, and so from about mid-1994, 96, all the way up through 2006, 2008, actually 2010 to be accurate, we began to, to change and shift the flow of migration at the border. We pushed it away from urban areas into more remote areas, and the, the flow of illegal migration diminished tremendously. We went from arresting a million and a half um, to, I think, when I retired, we were just at about 400,000. And so like 400,000 was, that was witnessing an increase because previous to that, we were in the two to 300,000 um, arrests or encounters per year. And now, unfortunately, in the last year and a half, that, that number has spiked back up to well over a million. Wow. That is amazing, just break, being able to break it down like that and seeing that much of an influx coming in is, is ridiculous. Oh, it's, it's uh, <laughs> I, and I'm being polite, and, you know, use the term ridiculous, but it, uh, those that have worked on the border and those that live on the border, um, the reality of the border is that it's very fluid, it's very dynamic, um, and when you look at border security, you have to recognize that it equates to national security. Because mm -hmm. whatever comes across our border, whether whether it's narcotics, and some folks would say, well, you know, maybe it's just marijuana, or maybe it's cocaine, but there are other narcotics that are, have truly impacted the entire country, methamphetamine, and then more recently, fentanyl. Mm -hmm. Fentanyl is extremely, extremely dangerous and, and, and fatal. Uh, and, you know, when, when not taken uh, appropriately, not, not that it should be taken to begin with, but it, it has uh, fatal consequences. Then you tack onto that the ability for, um, and just using simple terms, evil people to use the border to come across. Um, and in some cases, what we encounter at the border are folks that are either affiliated with terrorists, they may be recruiters, they may be um, financiers. Uh, in some cases, and, and thankfully it's not a lot, and, and, uh, we do encounter folks that have terrorist ties, but have been trained um, or have been identified. One of the aspects that I think is overlooked, sometimes people look at the border and the majority of, of the individuals that are encountered at the border are economic migrants, um, asylees, but in that mix, you do have very, very bad people. And one of the things that occurred as a result of 9-11 and um, our efforts overseas and in the Middle East and in Afghanistan is that 
the uh, military and some other organizations, some of those three-letter organizations that we often hear about, they did a very good job of identifying um, would-be potential uh, terrorists or folks that pose a threat to the United States. And so that capability translates to um, those that are working in border security now. In other words, fingerprints, facial identification. So when, when I think the majority of America looks at the border, they're just thinking about the simple economic migrant, or, or as we've witnessed as of uh, lately, families and unaccompanied children. But in that mixture are handfuls of folks that are related to terrorism. And if there's one thing we learned from 9-11 is that terrorists will plan. This isn't an overnight operation. It's something that they will plan for years and put into play. And it doesn't take more than a few dozen to, to attack our country and change our way of life. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, just thinking about 9-11, I mean... Got the hijackers, a few other people. I mean, to pull off something that was such a large loss of casualties, uh, there wasn't really as many people as one might think. No, it, it, it really was a, a dozen or so folks that, that carried out that horrendous uh, terrorist attack. And, and one of the things we have to recognize is that from the perspective of a terrorist, um, you know, our society is we're, we're about real time, we're about getting things done right now. They are very patient. Um, their mindset is we're not going to do it today and we may not do it a year or even three years from now but five or ten years from now we're going to attack you and, and so that's one of the distinctions when we, when we look at this is we have to be cognizant of the fact that it's a long-term effort at border security and, and throwing multiple resources at it from the perspective of um, border security apparatus and the, from fencing to technology to personnel and uh, utilizing liaisons with organizations, other law enforcement organizations, and, and folks in the intelligence world to make sure that we're securing our border. It's extremely integral to safeguarding our country. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought all that up because I think maybe a lot of people don't think uh, about as much terrorism as, say, drugs coming across the borders. <clears throat> yeah, and... And again, it, it's what we see every day are your, your economic migrants, your asylum seekers, uh, narcotic traffickers. But it, it doesn't take, we have to, again, and, and I stress this because I, I, I often feel that most of America doesn't recognize the border as a, a national security issue, and we really should. Oh, absolutely. It seems like that uh, the more I'm talking with you. Um <clears throat> Now, if, if someone wants to be a Border Patrol agent, what are some of the things that disqualify you from becoming one? Well, the, the age range for a Border Patrol agent is 18 to 37, unless uh, you are active military. And then there's an exemption, and I believe you can come in to the, to the Border Patrol up to the age of 41. Um, <clears throat> there, uh, there's a test that's administered, and uh, it's, it's designed to... Um, Query or repulse your, your uh, logic. You know, do you have the capability to think through a situation? Do you have the, the ability to, to work through, identify a problem and work through it? There's also a foreign language test. Um, and it, it used to be, and again, when I came in in the late 80s, you took a, a Spanish exam. And now you take a computer based foreign language exam, and it's, it's a, uh, it's, it is a, a made up language, basically, and you get 
uh, about 30 minutes to study a, a guide that explains what the words are, the verbs and nouns, and then you, you interpret the language as it's read to you. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so uh, being between the age of 18 and 37, uh, the capability to learn a foreign language and any sort of uh, job experience that, that uh, would prepare you for a law enforcement uh, career are the things that, were, that the Border Patrol looks at. Now, how fluent do you have to be in other languages? Is that I'm guessing that's got to be a big part of it. Well, it's it's not so much uh, coming into the Border Patrol being fluent. It's the ability to learn a language. Uh, the Border Patrol Academy is uh, 18, weeks, 18 weeks in length. And during those 18 weeks, you are immersed into the Spanish language. Traditionally, the, uh, the individuals that we're encountering at the border are coming from Spanish-speaking countries. And I say traditionally because up until very recently, that, that was the norm. Uh, whereas today, what we're witnessing are people from um, Brazil, which is Portuguese, uh, and the Middle East, and China, and India. So we, we may find ourselves uh, adopting the additional languages as the Border Patrol progresses. But you don't have to come into the Border Patrol speaking Spanish. You will be immersed in the language at the academy. And uh, when you graduate 18 weeks later, you've, you will have achieved at least... A, a two-year level of Spanish proficiency. That is amazing. <clears throat> now, I uh, actually found out about you because I listened to podcasts as well and uh, noticed you were on uh, Theo Vaughn's show, and he's one of my favorite comedians. Uh, what was that whole experience like? That was an awesome interview. Oh, thank you. I've got to tell you, that was a lot of fun. Um, Theo Vaughn, uh, there was a... Uh, there's a team there reached out to me. They had, um, so back, uh, I forget what year this was. I think it was 2018 or 2019. Uh, this is when we had some contracts. We using the board patrol had some controversy in regards to, um, uh, Mrs. Cortez had gone, uh, AOC had gone down to the border and mm-hmm. was upset that, um, she had witnessed migrants drinking out of a detention, um, drinking fountain, which is a combination fountain and a toilet. And so there was a tremendous amount of controversy, and uh, I happened to do a video just to, to explain um, what what is provided to migrants when they're in border patrol custody, from the uh, clothing to diapers to baby food to you know, uh, the access to meals, and, uh, and then I demonstrated how the uh, the combination toilet and fountain drinks by uh, filling up a cup of water and drinking it. And, Theo Vaughn happened to, happened to watch that video, and uh, that's what sparked his interest in reaching out to me for a conversation. But the interview itself was, um, having done interviews uh, as part of my, my uh, work responsibility, um, were always very structured and very sort of stoic because you, you were uh, trying to be professional and, and stick to talking points. But being able to sit down with him and, and speak freely was very refreshing and, and extremely enjoyable. And being that you had so many professional interviews over the years, probably the one with the most laughing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Roy, it was wonderful talking with you. And uh, I usually ask people what their future holds, but seeing since you're retired, I'd probably say not very much. <laughs> well, one, one of the things, after having served in the Border Patrol for so long, I, I, I still, uh, as an agent, we, we say we bleed green because it's the color of our uniform. And, one of the things that I, I am doing is advocating and championing, championing for the Border Patrol, the agents out there. Um, you know, the situation at the border, irrespective of where you sit politically, is it's the border is out of control right now. And unfortunately, this administration um, is sending mixed messages. Uh, you know, 
and it's deteriorating the ability of the agents to secure the border. And unfortunately, it's, it's, there's two things that happen with that. It, border security is, is undermined. And then when you look at the migrants that are coming across the border, it increases the risk for them. Uh, one of the, the unfortunate aspects of folks who come across the border illegally is that they're not prepared uh, for what the border is. Uh, places that they cross the border illegally are, for example, I'm, I'm here, out here in Arizona. It's a desert out here. It's Today it's, uh, it's in the low 100s. It's, it's a cool day if you, if you happen to be a resident out here. But for someone who's not used to this climate and not used to the, the temperature changes, uh, because it'll be 100 during the day and then it'll drop down to 70 at night, mm. uh, this is it's perilous. And so the unfortunate part with the mixed messaging from the administration is, is as opposed to saying don't come or the only way you can come is legally, uh, they're encouraging illegal migration and they're placing people at risk. And you know, one of the things that, that I continue to advocate for is, is that uh, our elected officials, I'm hopeful that they will revamp our immigration system and uh, they need to recognize that the immigration system is not solely about enforcement. It's also about lawful uh, migration. It's also about providing judges and attorneys and, uh, and then adopting to the new uh, demographic of, of would-be uh, migrants. Historically, it, it had been single adults, and today it's families and, and unaccompanied children. And there isn't a single agency in, in the world that's designed to detain and house and, and, and care for families and children, at least not in this volume. And that's one of the things that just undermines the Border Patrol because they, they spend so much time caring for um, the, the children and the families. Just looking at the, an article earlier that in uh, Del Rio, Texas, there are well over 4,500 um, uh, migrants that are being housed under a bridge right now waiting to be taken into custody by the Border Patrol. And that's, that's how overwhelmed they are is that 4,500 people are actually sitting under a bridge waiting for the Border Patrol to come in and pick them up. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's, that is mind-blowing. It is. It is. I, and, uh, I hope that, that uh, this administration changes uh, its, its efforts. It recognizes that you have to have lawful, um, and a, a lawful border that has to be controlled. And I'm not opposed to legal migration, but they go hand-in-hand. Hand. If, if you can create lawful avenues you reduce the volume at the border and that you allow the border security experts to focus on the truly dangerous things, those drug smugglers, those would-be terrorists. Um, so I'm hoping that, that Congress, um, our elected officials, they could make a, a hard effort to do that the immigration system. Yeah, I think that's all we can hope for. Roy, thank you so very much. It was an honor talking with you, and enjoy your retirement, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. You have a great day. You as well. Thanks. All right. Take care. All right. You too. All righty, everyone. Big thanks to Roy Villarreal. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great night.